Hi, everyone. Today, I get to finally share a story that I've been thinking about for a while now. Because for pretty much as long as I've been living in the gorge, I've been hearing about this one guy. Bug is what we say, B-E-U-G. We figured that's phonetic and everyone could get it. Well, it's a four-letter word, nobody can pronounce it. <laughs> Maybe nobody can pronounce it, but best I can tell, Michael Bug has made a name for himself. Here in the Columbia River Gorge, Michael is the mushroom guy. So this one now is Fomitopsis muncii. It got a new name because when you do the genetics, it didn't match what we've been calling it. He knows where to find them, how to identify them, and the best ways to cook them. When you slice them and cook them, on, you gotta turn them carefully. Uh-huh. If you cut them in little, little tiny cubes, uh-huh. then you can just stir around. They're a lot easier to yeah. cook. Yeah. And so I do- Michael's basically had a 50-year love affair with mushrooms. And it shows. So there's there's just so many things that make mushrooming fascinating. Unlike Michael, I am not a mushroom person. I don't know where to look for them. If I found one, I'd have no idea how to identify it. And I've certainly never thought about how to cook mushrooms, because I don't really even like to eat them. But when Michael told me I could join him on a mushroom hunt, I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to turn things around. I was ready to get serious about mushrooms. You were just trying to go out and find a spot to look, some of the characteristics you would be looking for. Well, the first thing I look for is I run into the woods and are there any mushrooms? (laughs) Hey everyone, it's Sarah Fox, and you're listening to Here in the Gorge. And today, we're gonna take a quick trip into the world of wild mushrooms. Remember, I was just a puffball stomper till somebody gave me that bag of morels. I, I might be doing, changing your life here, you know. I'm gonna take you to two of, two of my three favorite spots. Michael and I are headed into the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. It's in Southwest Washington. So as we're driving, I'm scanning both sides of the road. I can, I can pick out a king bolete at 60 miles an hour. A king bolete is a kind of mushroom. Oh, it looks like the king. <laughs> I mean, One of Michael's favorites, obviously. We continue to wind our way up into the forest, and eventually Michael slows down and points to the most nondescript chunk of woods. And we're at our first spot here. Michael parks the car, and before I know it, he's starting to push his way into the understory of the forest. Into the woods, we go. And it finally clicks why it's called mushroom hunting. We can go walk around as many places as we want. But there's no guarantee we'll find anything. What do they say? To, to find your prince, you've got to kiss a lot of toads. <laughs> and it's the same thing for mushrooming. <laughs> As soon as I enter the forest, I start scanning the ground. I don't really know if that's what you're supposed to do, but it feels like what you should do. Yeah, it feels pretty balmy. I, don't think I feel like a kid on a treasure hunt. Only problem is, I am not finding any treasure. I think Michael was prepared for this. So now, okay. we're going to look down for a moment. That was, oh, here's something. <laughs> yeah, what do we? He totally set me up on that one. 
right at our feet, next to a fallen tree, was a huge mushroom. It was nearly the size of a soccer ball. What do we know about that? Michael leaned over and pulled it out of the ground. So, this thing is called a bolete, and uh, and right now... Bolete is a general term for this sort of mushroom, but there's all sorts of boletes, like the king bolete, that mushroom Michael can spot while driving 60 miles per hour. But this one isn't a king bolete. Michael says this one is called, bear with me here, Boletus mirabilis. Boletus mirabilis, the admirable bolete. Feel the top of it. it it's a sort of a, novel, a velvety. But just... This is when I should probably confess something else, which is, in my ignorance, I have always been sort of scared to touch mushrooms. I've worried that they might have some sort of poisonous coating on them. I know this is ridiculous, but I also know that I'm not alone. Well, thanks to Michael, I got over that pretty quick. No other bolete feels like this. Whoa. It's, it's like a velvet sandpaper <laughs> is how I would describe it. This is more The top is sort of a brownish maroon color. It's got that classic mushroom shape. Then Michael turns the mushroom over. Underneath its cap, it looks like a lime green sponge full of holes, and very squishy. This mushroom, when it's young and not yet slimy, is really delicious. It has a nice lemony flavor. So this is a really good beginner's mushroom. The one we're holding is past its prime, so Michael tucks it back into the ground where we found it. It won't regrow, but he says it makes the whole scene look less disturbed. A bit of leave-no-trace ethic. And then we continue on. So let's see what we can find. Oh, here we got something over there. And looks like something over there. Within 50 feet of where we parked, we proceed to find mushroom after mushroom oh, after mushroom. We're not up at 100 yet. <laughs> and once you see one, it seems like you see them everywhere. There can be lots and lots of stuff. The ground can be... And so I quickly learned that mushroom hunting isn't just about finding mushrooms. It's about identifying them. Many times people will send me a photograph shot straight down and say, what is it? Turns out there are all sorts of things to consider when you're trying to identify a mushroom. And it's much harder and more complicated than I would have ever imagined. Yeah, this is a young... Well, no, it isn't what I thought it was. (gasps) Okay. Suddenly, Michael is like a detective. He starts with the top. What color is it? What shape? How does it feel? Then he flips it over. What's underneath the cap? Does it look spongy or have gills or something else entirely? Now we've got little teeth underneath. (gasps) Teeth. This mushroom appears to have little teeth underneath its cap. Now I'm smelling it and it has this kind of unpleasant smell to it and that smell is the term for it is farinaceous supposedly it smells like wheat flour can't say i've ever smelled wheat flour so i take michael's word for it next he pulls out his knife (sighs) i'm trying to cut it now with my knife in half because i want to look inside it michael cuts the mushroom lengthwise inside at the bottom The mushroom is orange. This will tell me when this mushroom grows up and gets a little older, 
It's actually, I think, going to be orange on top as well. And this is in the uh, Hidnellum aurantiacum group. It's a highly prized mushroom for fabric dyeing. And that's what's interesting about it. Michael looks like he might have more to say, but at this point, he seems to be distracted by something behind me. What are I'm, you looking at? I'm looking at a big mushroom <laughs> that we didn't see yet. I got it. We got to I got to look at this over here. He's headed towards a large rotting log. He leans down and gently pulls a mushroom from okay. the ground. Ooh. Notice these little rusty brown spores. See this little cobweb. The spores are basically like the seeds or eggs of a mushroom. They're what help the fungi reproduce. To me, they look like dust. But to Michael, the color of the spore is crucial. Spores can be white, black, even pink. And on the mushroom that Michael's holding, the spores are brown. It's a cortinarius. Very different from that other cortinarius we looked at a few minutes ago. Next, Michael turns over the mushroom and shows me the top. The color seems subtle, almost gray but Michael describes it as violet. And it turns out this violet coloration is very rare in mushrooms, but very common in the genus Cortinarius. Physical characteristics tell Michael the genus that this mushroom belongs to. But when it comes to identifying the particular species, sometimes you need more than just what it looks like. So this is one I wouldn't even try and put a name on. Some Cortinarius- probably 500 possibilities, and I'd have to probably need DNA to be sure. That's right. Sometimes it takes DNA testing to make an absolute identification. And this year alone, Michael thinks he's found multiple species of new mushrooms. He's just waiting on their test results to confirm. So I'm going to, we've got this huge log blocking yeah. our way, so we're just going to go up and around, and we'll come down on the other side of that huge log. We move on to a small patch of mushrooms that I've actually heard of, chanterelles. That one may be fresh enough. They're a light yellow color, and they pop out of the ground almost like a little clump of ruffles on yeah, a dress. That, oh, that looks good. That's a beautiful one. I've heard friends talk about these, so I know they're edible. We gather them up, gently knock off what dirt we can, and then place the chanterelles in a small paper bag. Never put it in plastic. You can put it in paper or wrap it in aluminum foil. But this is still alive. It's still breathing. And if you put it in plastic, it'll sweat and decompose right away. Michael tells me that mushrooms are actually way more like people than plants. For example, mushrooms can't produce their own food. They don't use photosynthesis like plants do. Mushrooms have to go find their meals, just like humans. But instead of stopping at the grocery store, mushrooms send out enzymes. Those enzymes then break down things like dead plants and even animals. By breaking it down, the mushroom can absorb the nutrients from it. Michael puts the paper bag full of chanterelles back into his pack and then pulls out a piece of paper and pen. So the other thing I'm gonna do, since this is our first mushroom of the day, and we've collected it, I'm gonna get my permit out, and we are going to log it. Michael makes an entry for chanterelles. You'll notice he didn't write down any of the other mushrooms we'd found, 
because we weren't collecting them and bringing them home. The permit is free, and in this forest, he can hunt and collect mushrooms 10 days a year. I'm up to one, two, three, four, five, six. That means I got four more days. At this point, I feel like I'm starting to get the hang of things. These are pretty. Oh, this is what I was looking for. <laughs> I'd seen it from below, and I was trying to find it again. We got above it. That's a honey mushroom. At the base of a large tree is a cluster of three mushrooms. Their caps are a warm gold color, just what you'd expect from something called a honey mushroom. But Michael says he actually has another name for this particular species. This is the mushroom I call the chameleon. When I'm teaching a, a three-month-long class, students bring this in every week saying, what is this? And it's always the color of honey. Can you tell me what color honey is? Well, it changes depending on what's it in and where it's behind it. That's right. This is always the color of honey. <laughs> it can be very, very pale. It can be almost black. That ability to be different colors can make the honey mushroom hard to identify. But they do have one feature that doesn't change. In fact, it had come up just this week. This week I had a poisoning case where somebody's child ate some of this. There's a group of eight people that the Washington Poison Center notifies in cases like this. Michael's one of those eight. He's in a similar group for Oregon's poison control. And they only sent us photographs top down. And remember, usually top down photos don't give enough information to identify a mushroom. But not this time. Michael points to something on the top of the honey mushroom. But see these little tiny, there's these little tiny black scales it's the only mushroom that has those. So even though this was a... That fact barely has a chance to sink in, though, before Michael tells me something else. Remember I told you the mushroom that's the second largest in the world? That's it. At first, this seems like a joke, right? I mean, we'd already found way bigger mushrooms just today. But when Michael points to this little honey mushroom and says it's the second largest in the world, what he's really talking about is what's going on underneath the mushroom. This is connected to the very fine mycelial net that's spread out all beneath us. This underground net that Michael's talking about looks like a web of thin white threads. You've maybe even seen it before. If you've ever been digging around in a forest floor or even in your garden, you might have noticed these white webs. Sometimes it's even clumps of white. That's it. That's the mycelial net. And that is what's growing all the mushrooms. During our drive here, Michael had explained it like this. It's like an apple tree. The tree is the fungus, the apples are the fruit. So what we're picking are the fruit of this organism. So all the mushrooms we'd found this morning, those were like apples. All the bags full of mushrooms, that I'd seen my friends bring home, those were apples too. The mushrooms that pop up in my lawn, apples. The mushrooms you saw growing on an old stump or in your compost, those are all essentially apples, meaning they are the fruit of a much larger organism. But instead of that organism being above ground, like an apple tree, it's growing underground. And when that underground organism, that net of white threads, has enough food and the right conditions, that's when it grows a fruit. 
a mushroom. Which brings us back to the Gifford Pinchot National Forest and the honey mushroom. This one plant covers the whole Gifford Pinchot. So it's like if Gifford Pinchot had a huge buried apple tree, this these are apples from the same tree as right. from across the Gifford Pinchot. Right. So for reference, the Gifford Pinchot National Forest spans 1,312,000 acres. And underneath this huge space is a mycelial net that can grow mushrooms in the place that we are today and all the way across on the other side of the forest. Which means that this little honey mushroom that we're holding is growing on one massive apple tree, metaphorically speaking. And it gets even cooler because these underground webs are doing way more than just making mushrooms. There's this massive interconnected web. So virtually all trees, virtually everything that grows in your garden forms a mycorrhizal association with a fungus. Trees talk to each other through the fungal mycelium. For example, if a tree is under insect attack, it changes its chemistry and starts to produce chemicals to fight off the attack. The chemicals being produced then get transmitted to adjacent trees. So those trees have advanced warning. And they get that message by talking to each other through the mushroom. The mycelial network also transfers nutrients and water and so many of the things that an ecosystem needs to survive. I think of it like taking the internet, grocery stores, and delivery trucks and smooshing them all into one massive system. And I think all this is what finally hooked me on mushrooms. Not the eating or even the hunting but the fact that right there under my feet, they were working away, playing a crucial role in a much larger web of life. And we're only just beginning to understand it. you need to pick that badly. Very badly. Very, very badly. You have to pick that. This episode of Here in the Gorge was supported by the Gorge Community Foundation, the Hood River Cultural Trust, and listeners like you. That is a number one King Bolit. Is it really? Yeah. This episode features music by ScanGlobe, by Deef, and by Mimatone. All available at the Free Music Archive. Find out more in the show notes. You should eat this one tonight. This is the nutty one. Okay. Oh, look, there's another one right there. If you like what you hear, there's more episodes and shorts at hereinthegorge.com. That's H-E-A-R in thegorge.com. And how about taking a few seconds to share an episode with a friend? Word of mouth is sort of like our mycelial network. It helps good stuff grow. 
These things are good to the very last drop. And if this episode left you thinking, man, I need some more mushrooms in my life, or maybe some more Michael Bug, then go buy his book, Mushrooms of Cascadia, an illustrated guide. We also had the chance to host Michael for a Sense of Place presentation. That's our companion lecture series. You can find information on all of that at our website, hereinthegorge.com. Ooh, here's a neat thing. Wow. Haven't seen one of these for a while. And last for us, a huge thank you to Mr. Michael Bug. I will never look at a mushroom the same again. Thank you all for listening. My name's Sarah Fox, and this is Here in the Gorge. Here in the Gorge.